Is the world on fire? Hi, everyone. You're listening to a podcast created by students and alumni at the Kroc School of Peace Studies at the University of San Diego. I'm your host, Taya Clement. And today, I had the pleasure of interviewing two incredible guests. Join me as I speak with Jackie Reed and Janice Deaton about the issues that women face during reentry after incarceration. We talk about the power of storytelling, of giving others the gift of attention and truly listening to their stories, and the importance of expanding access to reentry services for women. I'm here with Jackie Reed, the director of the Women's Reentry Program at the Urban League of San Diego County, as well as the founder and chief executive officer at Women Initiating Success Envisioned, otherwise called WISE. WISE is a grassroots organization dedicated to providing counsel and education in order to prepare women inmates for successful reentry into their communities. I'm also here joined by Janice Deaton. Janice is an experienced trial attorney who has worked as a federal criminal defense lawyer for 30 years. She is a lifelong Borderlands native and a proud alum of the Kroc School Masters of Peace and Justice program. Her areas of focus include border rights, criminal justice advocacy, and judicial reform in the Americas. Janice teaches classes on the American criminal justice system, looking at alternatives to current policing institutions and mass incarceration, as well as on immigration and border advocacy. Thank you so much for <clears throat> being willing to enter this conversation, a unique one at that. This is the first time we've talked about the subject of reentry on this podcast. I want to talk to you today, Jackie, to learn more about your experience empowering previously incarcerated women and to rewrite their narratives and help them transition back into society with agency and self-esteem. Okay, so the way it starts is it's a mindset. Okay, you got to get your mind right. You got to be ready for this change. Okay, I deal with women that have been abused, uh, domestic violence, uh, on drugs, uh, in and out of jail all their lives. So it's a mindset. You got to be ready to make this change in your life. So what I do, I use me an example because I always say I'm the reentry baby, right? I did prison. I was on drugs for 20 years. I've been clean 18. I focus on making sure that women are getting their lives back on track. So whatever it takes, I meet them where they're at. So if they're in a substance abuse program, I go to the substance abuse program. I provide services. So if they need a bus pass to go to parole, I make sure they go to parole or probation, wherever they need doctor's appointments to go get their food stamps, to go just to be able to do the minor stuff, Medicare cards, a bus pass to get you to those places. Right. And so I make sure that I get them a bus pass. All right. Women like to look good. Hey, we cute. We got to be fine. We got to be. So I always try to give them a hundred dollar gift card to go to Walmart and get them some clothing. If they decide they want to buy hygiene with it, they can buy hygiene with it. But I always tell them to get them an outfit. So when it's time for an interview, they're ready to go. All right. We do mock interviews with them. I sit down with them. This is the question they're going to ask you. Tell me about yourself. No, don't tell me you got five kids and whatever. No, no, no. You're going to tell me what you can do to make my business look good. Those are the type of things I do with my ladies to help them understand what they need to do to reenter. It's a process. 
And I always say, trust the process, right? And the ladies always look at me, Miss Jackie, it ain't that simple. Yeah, it is. Trust the process. It's not an easy journey. You got to go step by step. Just like it took you step by step to get locked up, you just didn't get locked up. It took a little time to get locked up. So I always tell them that. It's, that's the way you have to be able to help these ladies to see that they can be successful. I'm sitting in here with y'all. I'm a felon with two strikes. If I go back to the pre-end, I get life. So I made a conscious decision that I'm not going back. I'm not going to use anymore. And I'm going to help those so they can see they can be successful. Amen. Amazing. <laughs> right. It's real talk. It's, it's real. real talk. Yeah. You have so much, such a wealth of experience to share. You've been doing this how long? Oh, God. Since 2009. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Since I got out of prison. Uh, when I got out, there was nothing for women. You could go to your probation officer if you were a man and get a 30-day bus pass. Mm. As a woman, you go to your, your parole officer, probation officer, get your day pass. That's well, we're definitely going to get to that. I, I want to say, Janice, we invited you here today as well because you have extensive experience working as a criminal defense attorney on different cases. But I'm curious to know... What, in your experience, has brought you into the work that you're doing today? And how have you worked with women in particular? And how has that experience been for you? As a criminal defense attorney, my universe became the criminal justice world and the people in it. And what you learn when you work within that universe is so different from what the public thinks about people, all criminal justice operators. And by criminal justice operators, I'm talking about from the police to the parole officer. So we've got police, judges, prosecutors, parole officers, probation officers, defense attorneys, and how those roles are perceived by the public is just so, so different from what the reality is for people that live in that world, mm -hmm. right? And so, um, yeah, as a criminal defense attorney, I saw People are set on paths that snowball, and it's easy to see how people can end up in prison if you have the compassion and the time to to look at their past. I mean, root causes, there's classes on this, that's, that's a whole other issue, but just all of the systemic issues that create these worlds that are just night and day of people who are impacted by the criminal justice system. And so what is amazing about Jackie is that Jackie's working with people who are going through really the hardest part of the whole process, which is getting out and staying out. Mm. You know, I mean, it's hard to stay out of prison. Recidivism is real. It's real. And it's, it's, it's not easy. I mean, because of what we're going to talk to Jackie about. I mean, where do you get the help? Where do you get the bus pass? Where do you, you just get dropped off in the middle of nowhere? What do you do? And so mm. it's very easy to fall into old habits and go back with old friends and mm -hmm. old circumstances or break that and create a whole new narrative. I mean, that's the beautiful work of reminding women, you are not the worst thing you ever did. You are not the biggest mistake you ever made. You know, this is a ministry. That's what my work as a criminal defense attorney, my work now as a, as a, as a professor and instructor at CROC, is it's a ministry to get people who didn't have opportunities to give them opportunities, right? Right, right. In this world that you just painted a great picture of, it's so easy to look around us and feel kind of dismay. You know, there's so many people incarcerated in the United States today. And that number has just risen and risen for so long. And while there is a big discussion right now around reform and, and different changes, you know, you still see 
especially when it comes to women's incarceration, unprecedented amounts of, of neglect when it comes to medical care. Those stories have been really prevalent in the last year in, in San Diego and California, especially. So it's really easy to kind of get hampered down and just feel frustrated and like nothing is going to change. In that vein, like, is the world on fire? Are we dealing with the same exact fires that we were 20 years ago, 30 years ago? I think we are. I do. I think we are because 20 or 30 years ago, you didn't hear about women going to jail. Mm. Let's talk about it. You didn't hear about that. Women now are going to jail to protect a man, right? Because the man been in and out, in and out, in and out. And he know if he go back this next time, he going to do a stretch of time. So he'll tell the woman, oh, if you love me, you'll do this for me. We love our men. And we'll say, okay, baby, I'm going to do this for you. And then they're just going to slap you on the wrist. And then when you find out you're doing seven years, okay, well, it's too late. And guess what? By the time you get in prison and get settled in prison, because you get settled once you get in there, you learn the ropes, you learn what you got to do, what you can't do, who you can sit with, who you can't, because it's politics in prison. So mm-hmm. it ain't just getting in there doing whatever. You got to stay away from the drama, the fights, all that. I know what I'm talking about. I was in that. When they get there, then they go to call the man that they're in there for. He's not there no more. Right. He's not there to be by their side to the end. He's not there because he done moved on to the next phase because he free. Now you locked up with a felony and a case that you took for your man. And I always tell my ladies, let the man go to pen and let him go. He the one did the crime. Don't you go for him. But, you know, that's the love. I love my man. That's what they tell me. I love my husband. I love my boyfriend. And they go to jail. So, yeah, it's on fire because nothing is changing. Oh, they're saying we're doing the reforms, we're doing all this. But let somebody come after 5 o'clock and say, I need some help. Can you help me? I had an incident where a lady came in, her beat to death, her and the two kids. But she didn't qualify because she had a prior. Mm. But her and her kids sitting in the Urban League, distraught because she done made it away from the guy. And guess what she had to do? Go back to the guy, but she ain't got nowhere to go because she didn't qualify with the person that held the key to be able to help her start her life new. Those are the problems I'm having as I try to help women transition back out. Mm -hmm. It's really sad that people that hold those keys to be able to help people like this lady that came in with her two kids beat up, right? She didn't qualify. Oh, I was living behind that. But what can you do? Right. And so she went out. Uh, she figured, OK, won't nobody help me. She went out. She robbed. She stole. They took her kids. Now she locked up. But my thing is, she came and asked for help. And would nobody help her? So what I'm hearing a lot of is like this fire is the system. It, it doesn't show up for women, especially. I mean, it doesn't show up for a lot of people who are struggling with with illness with poverty with uh, all the other kinds of offenses that you know cause someone to go on that road and the system isn't prepared to handle it and give you the kind of compassion that you need is what i'm hearing yes i don't have that compassion i mean don't get me wrong some places i got people care about other people and all that but the majority of this don't nobody care all right it's five o'clock it's time for me to go home oh and i'm not gonna be here tomorrow so call me monday and let me see what I can do for you Monday. But this woman didn't have no place to go for her and her two kids Friday, Saturday, Sunday. What is she supposed to do? And then she went out, she robbed. Now she locked up looking at five, six years because hmm. nobody would help her. And I think what happened was she felt, okay, 
ain't nobody doing nothing for me and my kids. I'm just whatever. And she went on out and she did what she did. I wish I could have did more, but I tried everything to help her and I couldn't get the help from those that hold the key. That's my concern. Janice, do you have a perspective that you can offer on this kind of notion of the world being on fire? You see it from very different perspectives all the time. Yeah, the world is on fire. And I'm hopeful because of people like you, Jackie, because working from within the system as a criminal defense attorney, you know, going into jails every day and then staying in touch with people afterwards, it seems like for the criminal justice system to change, we've got to readjust our perspective of human value. What heartens me a lot is the new approaches to education, at least in higher education, books that are being released regarding social justice that address the isms, the systemic, you know, racism and and poverty, anti-poverty, et cetera, et cetera, anti-women society that we live in. And there's more emphasis put on individual actions and just more light being shed on the injustice. It seems like more and more people are, you know, with with cameras, with with telephones, you know, we're witnessing we can no longer turn a blind eye to the Mm. injustices that are happening. And we now know that the people that we call the bad guys, you Mm -hmm, know, the people mm -hmm. that are arrested might not be the bad guys. You know, we might be looking at the wrong end of that gun being Mm -hmm. held by law enforcement. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. So I'm hopeful that people are more becoming more educated about the inequality that creates sort of this whole system where some people end up in the criminal justice universe and others don't. And it reminds me of kind of your point, like. We weren't talking about women in prison 20, 30 years ago, and we, we are talking about it now. I mean, the fact that we're even in this room right now, those kinds of conversations need to keep happening. I try to meet these ladies where they are. We can't put them all in one little box and say, this is it. This is how we're going to help these people right here, because every woman needs something different. different. Yeah. Okay. So on that note, can you talk about some of the most consistent challenges that women specifically are facing as they're trying to reenter? Education. What I've learned over the years, I've been helping, and I've helped over 2,000 women. When I did my statistics, I couldn't believe I helped that many women. It's just one woman at a time. But what I've learned is that it's education. Most of them don't even have a high school diploma. I was blown out the water. And I was thinking, you know, because when I asked my group, I have usually have a group of 15. I would ask the ladies, that was the beginning of the intake, what's your education level? Eighth grade. Mm-hmm. Ninth grade, sixth grade. I was like, y'all ain't with no high school in my mind, okay? Because my mama made me go to school. My mama, education is number one. So when I see these women don't even have a high school diploma, it just blows me out the water. You're talking about higher education, I can't get them through high school, Mm. right? And if we can get them through high school, then maybe they might be concerned about maybe going to junior college. Uh, I've been talking to uh, Susan Tophan over at the community college level. And we can't get them to go in there to take an assessment just to see where you stand. And, you know, because their priorities is making sure they man is happy or making sure that he has what he needs. That's what I've in a group of women I've dealt with. That's what I've seen. Uh, that's constant. Uh, it's a constant. Let me take care of my man, that type of thing. And I, it just makes me so mad because 
I want them to think about themselves because when you get you, as my theme is, when you heal the woman, you heal the whole entire family. So if you got that woman on the right track, the family going to be on the right track. And I believe that that's real, you know. I have a question to follow up because before I love that and, and I see the passion all over your face. I can tell that you love these women, I the do. women that you work with. They're, they're your friends. They're your partners. And, and I perceive from the hour and a half that I've known you that it's not like you're up there telling them what's what. But you have the ability to show these women, yeah, this is tough as hell, but I did it. And like you said just now, you have two strikes. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us a little bit about your path and then what was it that turned the light on for you. I know somebody intervened and saw in you promise. And that's what you do for these other women. But can you tell us a little bit about like what turned your light? How'd you how'd you do what you're trying to get these other women to do? Well, let me be honest with y'all. Mine came from on high. Okay. Mm -hmm. When I got delivered, I got delivered straight out the crack house. Okay. That day I remember I was in the crack house, okay? The guy came to the door and said, the police is outside, the police outside. Oh, my God. Me and my son had just got into it the day before. And let me say something about my son. My son loves his mama to death. Well, I tell you this story. Uh, he loves his mama to death. But I ran over my son the day before with a car, and I hit him at 40 miles an hour. I was half dope. He had heart to spit in my face, and I lost my mind. All right. I went to the dope spot that night and I drank. I got loaded. I drank. I, I got totally toe up. OK. And then the guy came to the door, said the police was at the door. Well, they were looking for me. And so when I went outside, because all the dope was on the table, it was dope everywhere. I go outside to protect the dope man. Let me keep it real with y'all. I got to protect the dope man. Right. I went outside and I knew when I got outside, they was going to arrest me. Mm -hmm. They took me to jail. Right. The officer that arrested me grew up with me. So we were good friends. Mm -hmm. So the first thing he asked me, he said, Jackie, you got some dope on you? I said, yeah. He said, give me a dope. He destroyed the dope right there where we were. And when he took me to jail, he only got me for the assault case, not the drug case. Now, when I look back on it, he should have mm -hmm. got me for the drug case. I wouldn't have did as much time. But that's OK. All right. <laughs> that's OK, because I believe that was my turning point. Uh -huh. When I stepped into jail, because if you read my bio, I always say I wasn't arrested. I was rescued. Right. I was rescued. That was my turning point, because then that's when God set it down. Because first he had to clean me up. You got to remember, my mind was foggy. I had to get clean first. Once I got clean, then I was able to think. I was able to say, OK, I need to do something different. Then I was able to say, OK, I need. And then God gave me a vision. Of women. Let me tell you this vision. In this dream, I was on this stage in front of a podium and I had all these women standing behind me. It was a bunch of women, just a bunch of what? No men, just women, right? And it was this big banner above my head. The banner was blank in the vision. The banner was blank. And I thought, why is all these women? It was women. I mean, just like sea of women. Okay. And I thought, what is that? Well, Later on down the line, it was wise in me helping those women that were standing back there. Mm, mm. Right. It was those women. I had to help those women back there that were standing behind me because I had made it to the podium and they was on their way. 
And when you say WISE, you're talking about the no, NGO that you founded. Uh-huh. Yeah, go ahead. Okay, so WISE is Women Initiating Success and Vision. That's what was on that banner that I could not see. Mm-hmm. It was eye-opening. It was my passion because I had asked God to give me something that when I step out of here, I'm going to have passion for. I want to save a life besides my own. And by saving my life, I was able to save so far 2,000 women. Hmm. Something to think about, isn't it? Yeah. God is good to me. And so with me and my son arguing, that turned my life upside down. It cleaned me up. And now I'm doing things for women just like myself. Because when I got out, I couldn't get no job because I was a felon. It was a violent crime, first of all. Didn't nobody trust me in their office because they thought I was going to do something to somebody. It was a whole lot to this. And then when I got to the Urban League, the CEO, Ray King, at that time, gave me my opportunity. He said, well, you ain't going to come in here and kill nobody, is you? I was like, no. He said, you don't get high, right? I said, no. He said, then you can work. And I've been there, what, that 17 years ago, right? And so I've been there the whole time. And I believe that by him saving my life, I was able to save others. That's an amazing story. Yeah. And I, I wanted to ask, you know, what during that reentry process, you said it was so difficult to get hired. Mm-hmm. It was difficult to get access to any sort of resource. What was missing that you now are trying to fill the gap for? Clothing, uh, housing, bus passes, hygiene, just the basic, what we take for granted. Get up, take a shower, get ready for work, put your makeup on, get dressed, put on nice clothes and go to work. Women coming out don't have that. I didn't have that. When I got out, I was in Freedom House And I got hand-me-down clothes. I'm six foot two. Can you see me in them clothes? (laughs) But I wore those clothes because that's all I had, right? And then my sister uh, got mad at me because I had, she said, girl, you look a mess. Let me give you some clothes. And my sister used to, she used to buy suits. My sister likes suits. And she gave me all her three-piece suits. They were dresses. Three-piece suits, blazers, the whole, and my sister plugged me, right? And I used to wear those suits to work. Uh, I had every color there was in the book. My (laughs) sister gave me those suits. But that made me feel so much better about myself because I was able to wear something that fit me, that looked good on me, and I felt my self-esteem, and I knew I could be okay. Because when you're coming out of prison, you're already low. You're already low. And you're going into a program you don't want to be in anyway. You've been with all these women all these years and you got to get along with them to get out, to get along with more women. It's, 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 it's a trying thing. It's a process. But once you get past that process, you can be successful. And that's what I tell them because I did it. So I am that trusted messenger. Incredible. Yeah. yeah, I I, am. I am because can't neither one of y'all go standing in front of a bunch of women that went to the pen and say, oh, I can tell you about the penitentiary and you ain't never been there. They're going to look at you like, yeah, okay. I imagine it's hard to even, you know, for for someone who's just out, who doesn't have trust to Mm -hmm. even want to go seek help. Like you said, that process of even going to ask for help is so difficult. Mm -hmm. There's such a barrier to that Mm -hmm. when it comes to trust, your mentality, you know, and if you're not thinking about yourself, it's even harder. Mm -hmm. So 
I can imagine having that credibility, word of mouth, being mm-hmm. able to, you know, that woman you mentioned in a story earlier when we were talking how there's a woman who knew you from one of the programs in the mm-hmm. jail and she was able to tell her, the other woman, you know, hey, I know mm-hmm. this person who can help us. So it sounds like that credibility is like a key, key aspect. Yeah, it is. To be able to reach those women, you got to live it. Yeah. And if you haven't lived it, you can go in there and talk to them, but you're not going to get a response from them. They just going to kind of sit back and like, "Mm, she don't know. Right. And you went through the Freedom House, man. I mean, that is not a cakewalk. That is a tough rehabilitation house. If you I mean, they've got tough rules, curfew. You can't have a cell phone. It's tough. So how long were you there for 90 days? I was there for a year. I went in there there with the attitude that because I came from the Imperial Valley. That's why I was born and raised. And when I went into I was at VOA. Well, a big incident happened where the guys stole the van and robbed the stores. And the city council closed VOA back then, right, as Volunteers of America. So they moved me to San Diego to Freedom House. When I got to Freedom House, that's when I learned I had 10 days left. And I remember that parole officer. I went in there with all my, I'm a paper person, so I got paper everywhere. I I didn't finish this. I got my certificates. And she looked at me. She said, no, you got six more months. I had already did six months. She said, you got six more months. I said, no, here's my paper. I spread it all out with all my dates and stuff. She said, I don't care what that say. I'm giving you six more months. Mm -hmm. So I ended up doing a year at Freedom House before I got free, if I could say that. Okay, but see, that's exactly what I think about as a criminal defense attorney. You were done with your six months and you got kind of screwed by your PO and said, no, I don't care what the rules say. I don't care what your paper says. I'm giving you six more months. A lot of people would have been, I'm done with this. I'm done with the man. I'm out of here and I'm going to go get my biggest, you know, first high that I can come across. But you didn't. Mm -mm. I just, I took it as, okay. I always say my first reaction is my reaction. So I was like standing like, oh my God, I got to do another six months. But I knew that that's what I had to do. So I accepted it. See, the key to things and and change is acceptance. You got to accept that, okay, I'm not getting out tomorrow like I thought I was. I'm not getting out to July, right? And so I'm sitting there thinking, oh, my God, another six months. But let me tell you all something. In those six months, I became the cook. I was cooking that soul food in there. I got the (laughs) cooking in there. People got to enjoy my cooking. I began to talk more. I felt more alive once I uh, accepted. I got to do this six months, and I was in there cooking soul food every other day. Everybody got big in there. We was in there cooking, right? And so it was a good thing for me because that gave me exactly four years of sobriety. So when I stepped out, I made that conscious decision. I'm not putting that crap in my body no more. So I had been clean four years after all that time. I had been clean. And that's why I say 90 days is not enough sobriety time. It's not. You got to have at least one year of sobriety time, at least. That way you don't think about going out using. Because after 90 days, the first thing a person thinks, because I thought like that. Oh, I'm going to do these 90 days. The 91st day, I'm going to go get high. But I didn't. So that was 18 years ago. So And look at you now. Yeah. <laughs> right. Look at me now. It's going on now. 
I want to uh, move to the topic of kind of rebuilding trust. It's come up a few times now when there maybe isn't that trust with officers or with members of the criminal justice system. You were able to get to the point where you're like building a program. As a child growing up, my mother always told me you must have a relationship with people. Okay, people are not going to trust you if they don't know you. Okay, and so in my mind, I figured, how can I get to the chief of probation? How would I work my way up to that? Well, Caesar Escrudo back in the day, he's still there, was the key guy for me because I met him first. And I remember the first day I had a meeting with him, I rode the bus because that was my transportation, right? I got up that morning. My appointment was at 9. I remember catching that bus at 5.30 to go to the probation officer out on Balboa because mm-hmm. I had to catch all them buses to get out there, right? And I said, I got there early. I got there like about 7.30, quarter to 8. I remember sitting in the back of the probation. It's a big area, Ramada in the back. I sit back there till about 8.30. I went upstairs and I checked in, but I sat outside to meet him. Once I meet him, he introduced me to the probation chief of probation at that time was uh, uh, Dolfo Gonzalez and Ruben Littlejohn was the assistant. I built those relationships. And once I built that relationship, people have a tendency to like me. I don't know what it is, but somebody, they they like me. And so I asked them would they help me if a woman needed help and then they needed services? And they told me, yeah. And they gave me their cell phone number. See, my thing is, give me your phone number. Don't give me your front desk because your front desk ain't going to get me to you. I need to be able to get to you so I can pick up the phone and call somebody on their cell phone. And they say, hello. I like that because when I got a woman in distress, I don't need to jump through all these hoops to get to you. I need help now. And so I can pick up the phone and I can call uh, at that time, Chief uh, Gonzalez or the assistant chief, Ruben Littledon. I could call them and they introduced me all to the division chiefs of probation. That's how I met everybody at probation, because I built a relationship. And that's a key piece. And you had that instilled in you yeah. young, sounds like. Uh-huh. So yeah, you knew yeah. the value of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So relationships, relationships are most important. See, because I got y'all now. Guess what? We friends now, right? <laughs> and yep. I can, I, so. I can reach out to you if I need some help. You understand what I'm saying? And that's the type of stuff I'm talking about. When I saw that on the Urban League page, I mean, that's an unlikely group of people to be friends. And because it was the sheriff's department that probably arrested you in the first place, Mm -hmm. you know, and so it definitely reflects on your ability to create relationships and then also to get the women that you're working with to trust that your program isn't going to bite them in the in the back later, right? I right, mean, right. They've got to learn to trust the process. Getting right. back to you know your first what you were talking about at the beginning. Yeah, that's that's how it works. You have to have trust, and you got to think most of those women are broken, traumatized, and done lost that trust. Yeah. Right, mm-hmm. and so. You got to rebuild that in them. And I always tell them, you can call me at five o'clock in the afternoon. You can call me. I had a girl call me at two thirty in the morning and my phone was ringing. I was like, I said, hello, I was asleep. Hello, Miss Jackie. Oh, my God. I was like, oh, God, I just sat up on the side of the bed. I said, what's the matter? And I took the time to listen to her. 
It was 2.30 in the morning. And I told her, I said, sweetie, I can't come to Escondido at 2 o'clock in the morning. My advice to you is go to your mama house, tell your mama, let you in, and then we'll handle this in the morning, which was a Saturday. But I'd have drove to Escondido on Sunday if I had to. Well, she called me Sunday and my mom said I could stay here to Monday. Okay, cool. Come see me Monday. That 2.30 in the morning was just that little mm, to get her to be okay to Monday morning. You understand? What she needed. She needed to be listened to. Uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Because she'd have called 211 at 2.30 in the morning? No. That ain't happening. Well, along the same vein, you know, you've said there's an, an article about you in the San Diego Union Tribune, and you've said, you know, I worry about how TV and the media portray women with felonies as horrible people. Some of these media portrayals are not true. They're just for ratings. These ladies don't need a handout, needing a hand up. That's what they need. It's a simple process. So in a person's mind, when they listen to these felons and these horrible people, right, they put us all in that same category. Yeah. Okay. I'm not in that category. Yes, I'm a violent offender. Yes, I did some, I made some bad decisions, but don't judge me by that media hoofla. Okay. Because that's not who I am. And as I tell my ladies all the time, my felony does not define who I am. I am Jackie Reed. And I'm going to do what I need to do for my women. And don't nobody care about my felony. You know how I know? I'm sitting here with y'all. Thank goodness that we aren't the worst thing we ever did, right? Thank goodness, you know, many of us can move on from the worst decision we ever made. Some of us were just caught. Right, right. Yeah, sometimes we committed crimes. but, But yeah, you're right. So I don't let things define who I am or what causes me to do what I do. I love what I do. And I'm going to meet those ladies where they are. And I'm going to help those ladies along the way. Sometimes it's a little whole hand holding. You got the hand hold sometimes. And I will. Uh, I'm going to share this story about a girl that's an author. She's an author. And they let her out of uh, jail in the middle of the night. She lived in Utah. They gave her a token at 10 o'clock at night. She made it to the target in Santee. She didn't know nothing. She was just walking, crying in the middle of the night. She made it to Santee, plugged up her phone, and called her mother. Her mother called me from Utah. It was 11 o'clock. I just got up in the bed. I was just getting comfortable. And the phone rang. I said, hello. I said, who in Utah? And I said, and she explained who she was. And she was telling me her daughter was at Target in Santee. Can you please help her? Oh, my God. And she and I was like, oh, my God. So me and my husband got my husband say, where are we going? I said, we're going to go save this life. Come on. And we got up. We drove to Santee. I got there about 1115. Might have been 12 o'clock. I don't even know. Midnight. And I pulled up and she was sitting right against the wall at Target in the middle of the night. She was crying her soul out. And when I pulled up, I was in the Urban League van. I pulled up and she saw me. When she saw me, she got up and she just ran and fell in my chest. She said, oh, Miss Jackie, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. She was from Utah. They know nothing about (laughs) nothing, right? That lady today done wrote two books. She's on Amazon doing the damn thing. But because I went in the middle of the night, and picked her up. That is a beautiful story. First of I all, before I follow up with That's a question wonderful. about it, yeah. that is lovely. I mean, yeah. those are the ones that make your yeah. heart. Yeah. Right. It's real. It's real. So you and I have in common the fact that we both are the voices for the voiceless. Mm-hmm. Like you 
advocate for women right. upon their release. Right. And you literally pick them up off of the street, like right. you just told us about. Right. And uh, it sounds like you keep in touch with this woman mm-hmm. that is now an author. Mm-hmm. That's my girl, right? Yeah, yeah. It right. makes you feel good. And then, um, but it's it's so much more than a job. I mean, this is your You're face saving lives. Up. Yeah. You're saving lives. Let me tell you something. What I do is save a life. It ain't about Jackie getting up. It ain't about, mm-mm. It's about a life. And to me, life is precious, right? Because you only get one, right? And so if it takes me and my husband to get up to go save a lady from being out on the streets all night away from the predators and all those looking, trying to find a way, coming with the dope sack, come on, let's go. You know, come on. I'm going to go and I'm going to save that life. Because you know what's at risk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's, and. And she's in a better place. Matter of fact, she finna do a small video film. She sent me a little video film she finna do with some film company, you know. And she always tells me, I thank you, Miss Jackie, for that night. Janice, mm-hmm. do you mind talking a little bit about your experience? Is narrative revision and empowerment playing a role when you're defending? How has that come in, if at all, or been a challenge for you? Yeah, that's a really good question. Well, the official job, I think, of a criminal defense attorney is to humanize our clients and to explain to the judges what got them to where they are. So we're talking about root causes, childhoods. I could count on one hand the number of well-adjusted childhoods that my clients had, right? I mean, out of hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of clients, most of them came from a tough, rough beginning. And to sometimes be the first person that ever really listened to them, it's a ministry for me too. I mean, I came to love so many of my clients to listen and to instill in them a little bit of what I saw in them. You know, um, that's my win, you know, is getting Mm. those cards years later saying I'm sober Um, I'm with my family, you know, and thank you for listening. Thank you for believing in me. Mm -hmm. I have a client that's going to be released this month. I cannot wait. You know, (laughs) they were looking at 30 years and ended up with 48 months total life change. And I cannot wait to see this person upon their release. You know, the narrative, the self-talk, the self-critic that my clients have is so extreme and the PTSD is extreme. So it's a big ask to expect people to get out of prison with all of this baggage and go, all right, world, I'm ready for you. Mm. If you don't have somebody like Jackie Reed Mm -hmm. behind you, because it's tough out there. It is. My win is when a lady get out and she gets her life together. So she got her apartment. She done got her kids back. She got her car. She working every day and she doing what she needs to do as a pillar of society. That's the win, right? That's the exact win. When I get that, it's just like that, that just cheers me on to be able to move forward and help the next lady to do the same thing. When we get that, it's just perfect. It's just like perfect for me. The more that we talk about these, these issues, the more that we talk about these women and their stories, the more that we realize how important it is to be be listened to, to the power of story, the power of narrative in all walks of life, you know, for believing in change and believing in radical growth. And I think that's what, for me, has stood out a lot in this conversation. So It's all about changing the mindset. It, it's all about the mindset. If you come out with the same mindset you went in with, then you're going back. 
But if you come out with the mindset, okay, I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. When you get there, the change comes. I'm telling you what I know because the change came for me. And I think about how God put in my spirit that these are the women you're going to help. All these women in this vision back here standing behind you, you done helped. Right. And and it didn't make sense to me then, but it makes a whole lot of sense today because I've saved over 2000 women. I didn't do it. I just was there to support them. I had hold a hand when they bumped it. You get a bump in the road. You know, let me come here, Miss Jackie. I, uh, OK, let, hold on. Hold on. Don't do nothing crazy. OK, what's the matter? And then you just listening to them talk it through for them to hear themselves talk it through. Okay, well, you know what, Ms. Jack, well, maybe I shouldn't. Yeah, that's a good idea. I don't tell them this is what you should do. You should do this. You should. No, no, no. Talk it through. Okay, so tell me what you think. And then they get to telling me, uh, well, ah, you know, this happened, this happened, this happened. But you know what, Ms. Jackie, maybe I should have. Mm, maybe you should have. And, you know, those are the way I try to help my women change that mindset. All right. And you need to start charging 325 <laughs> bucks an hour for your hourly rate. <laughs> oh, it's, just, it's just I I know that what it takes yeah. to to make this change and and you just need someone. And, and it's just so simple. The Bible say just love one another like you love yourself. I love me some me. I love me some me. So I'm going to love those ladies. And so. I'm going to listen to those ladies. I'm going to hear them. I'm going to understand. I'm going to take the time. I'm going to be patient. I'm going to love them. And when they see that, they be like, well, you know what? You can always call Miss Jackie. Miss Jackie, understand? Miss Jackie, no. Right, because Miss Jackie lived it, right? And so I try to make sure these women can be successful. And I, I, I got some good numbers now. I got 467 women working, got the kids back, doing what they need to do. And I got some that don't win back. But, you know, you can't save them all. But those that I did, some 467 women that are been in their apartment, got their cars, got their kids back, doing what they need to do in life. That's 467 lives ain't went back. <laughs> yeah. You know, so. So. I'm I'm sorry for jumping in, Taya. No Is that okay? So I just uh, hearing you reminds me of something that I heard long ago or read, and I love it. I think it was Thich Nhat Hanh who said this, one of my teachers, and he said, "Attention is one of the most generous gifts we can give somebody. Mm-hmm. Attention, like giving them, you know, your undivided attention." And and so these women that are calling you and going, "Miss Jackie, there's this, that, and the other thing," and and whatnot, and and you're listening, and you're not saying, "I don't have time for this." Mm-mm. You're not saying, "Get your shit together." Mm-hmm. You know, I've told you this before. You're, but you know, you're listening to them and hearing them mm-hmm. and giving them this generous gift called attention. Like, not only are you listening to them, but you're letting them figure things out on their own, mm-hmm. which in turn is helping them grow their self-esteem mm-hmm. and empower them, right? right? Right. I mean, you're brilliant, you know, no, and back to the brilliant. 325 <laughs> an hour, <laughs> no, you know? <laughs> no, but you know what, though? It's just that I love what I do, okay? Mm-hmm. When I ask God in prison, sitting on the side of my bunk, and my my mother had died, my husband had died, my first husband, this mm-hmm. is my second husband, my first husband had died, and I'm thinking, 
Where am I going? And I remember asking God, okay, you done took the most precious things I got. So now you got to give me something that will keep me focused, keep me clean, keep me on the right track. And that's when I had that vision. And that's when I had the vision of the women. And that's been my run from the beginning. And I remember I have um, Fred Moore. That's my confidant. I can always go to him and I can talk to him. And I asked him, I said, I want to start this women's reentry program, but I don't know how. This is what he told me. He said, every day you got your dope, didn't you? I said, yeah. He said, how many days did you go without getting your dope? I said, well, I don't even remember because I got dope every day. He said, chase your sobriety the same way. Let me tell you something, ladies. I've been out there chasing that sobriety. And now I'm sitting here. I sit on the board of probation. I sit on the board of the DA. I sit at the attorneys for incarceration. I sit in those places because I want to make that change. Look, don't just think men go to prison. Women go too. I do have one divisive question for you. And it actually came from a quote that both Janice and I had identified from Angela Davis. It's really hard to talk about, like prison reform, abolition, Mm -hmm. any of that kind of stuff without bringing her in. It's from the book, Our Prisons Obsolete. Mm -hmm. And she reads, the prison therefore functions ideologically as an abstract site into which undesirables are deposited, Mm -hmm. relieving us of the responsibility of thinking about the real issues affecting those communities from which prisoners are drawn in such disproportionate numbers. Mm. And she says that the banishment of the incarcerated community relieves the rest of the society of this responsibility of dealing with those harsh mm-hmm. realities. Mm-hmm. You've said, you know, the prison incarceration was a form of rescue for you yeah, for me. at your time in life. Uh, so, you know, there is a movement for getting rid of, of prisons. And I'm just, I'm just curious what you say to that, knowing in what ways the system was important for you at the time that it came. Well, for me, it was, like I said, it was a rescue for me yeah. because Now I'm sitting on that bunk figuring out what are my next steps? What am I going to do next? Okay. With nowhere to go, no money, no nothing. What am I going to do? And so for me, the prison system helped me, right? It helped me. So I don't know if they can abolish prison because it helps a lot of women to kind of see that they don't want to do this anymore. Um, I don't want to go back to, I'm finna be 63 and I'm not trying to go back to the PN right now. Okay. I, I'm, I'm pretty much done with that rodeo ride. Okay. So they're not going to abolish prisons. I don't believe they will because you got to always have somewhere to put the bad person. You do. Right. Cause everybody ain't good people. Right. And so I hear what she said, but I also agree with, with them putting them away. Society don't have to deal with them. Right. Now that society got to deal with them coming out. Because they're releasing them now. You got to deal with them now. What are you going to do? So, but if you look and you do your research on women, there's nothing out there for women. I appreciate you sharing that perspective. I think it's important to to make sure that we're hearing all those different voices. Before we wrap up, Janice, is there anything you want to ask or or contribute? It's just a delight. I have a new friend. Right. So, We're friends yeah. now. <laughs> yeah. Well, I know the movie. We can now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but with that, then I just have one last question for both of you and then we'll wrap it up. And my last question is, what is the one thing you wish for our listeners to take away from this conversation? To understand that people that are coming out are trying to change. Help them change. 
Don't be afraid to give a person an opportunity. If you give them that opportunity, you might get a good worker or you might get a good person. Now, if they screw up, then you got a right to say no, but at least give them the opportunity because Ray King all those years ago gave me my opportunity and I ran with it. 17 years later, I'm still there doing what I need to do because he gave me that opportunity. So give people a chance. Give people a chance. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Mm -hmm. I think that Jackie's done a really good job of explaining how people that come out of, you know, previously incarcerated people, women, are not who we think they are. You know, like Jackie was saying, I always go back to, but for the grace of God, go I. But for the grace of God, go a lot of uh, people that don't realize how lucky we are. And when we see the people, our brothers and sisters in the justice system, they're just like us. So that's what I want people to know. We're all the Mm -hmm. same. So if there's one ask that we can help you fulfill tonight, what can people do to support the work that you do? I'm giving my first gala on August 26, 2023. I'm going to bring some of my women in to show their talent. Okay that have been incarcerated, that are in the sober livings right now. So if you want to get a ticket, if you happen to be in San Diego, you go to my website, which is www.nationalwise.org. Go in there, buy your ticket, donate, because what you donate helps a lady when she gets out of prison. Donate money so we can get bus passes, clothing cards, makeup cards, so women can feel good about themselves. You can't tell me you want to wear somebody else's drawers. I just want to put it out there. Okay? You want to wear your own stuff brand new. It builds the self-esteem. It makes a woman feel good about herself, and she can be able to be a pillar of society. You know how I know? I'm sitting right here. Thank you for listening to today's special episode with Jackie Reed and Jenna Steaton. Before you go, we want to hear from you. Share your questions, stories, or ideas on the fires you see in today's world. Contact us on Instagram at crockschool or via email at istheworldonfire at gmail.com. And let us know, what is your fire? Today's episode was produced by myself, Taya Clement, McCoy Turpin, and Franco Castro Escobar, with special help from Scott Lundergan and Ryan Murphy. It was edited by Jim O'Connell and includes original music by Victor Daniel Castro Escobar. Promotion is made possible by Kevin Dobbins, Tony Campos, Grayson Walker, and Andrew Biros. We'd also like to offer up a special thanks to the Dean of the Croc School, Dr. Patricia Marquez, and to Janice Deaton for joining us in this special episode today. Tune in next time. <laughs>